0: This is where Texas politics gets interesting. Here again are two guys named Jason, some great guests, and cold Texas beer for another smart conversation on Yolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas. Hey there, Jason Whiteley with you. Uh, I'm giving Wheeler a bye week for this episode, letting him get adjusted to the new year. If, if you don't know Wheeler, he, he likes to uh, sleep in. He's a night owl, so he, um, he works late and he's often hard to get on the line for a podcast. Nevertheless, give him some time to get acquainted after the holidays here. Welcome to Yolitics, guys. Uh, What a week in politics. You know, in D.C., the race for U.S. House Speaker in Congress has been going on. In Texas, lawmakers are driving to Austin. The legislature is about to reconvene there, and we are going to be heading to Austin shortly for that as well. This episode is going to be a primer for all the headlines you're going to see out of the state capitol in the coming months. And you're going to see a lot of them. you're going to see them on TV, in your social feeds, wherever you look. Remember, the, the legislature in Texas, unlike Congress, the legislature in Texas only meets every two years. Every biennium, it's called a biennium every two years. So it's in session from January the 10th until May 31st. Constitutionally, that's when lawmakers have to meet. And if you're ever at the Capitol in Austin there, you know, you can go into the House and Senate chambers to actually watch the legislative sausage get made. There are plenty of seats for the public in the gallery, where you can peer down on the floor of each chamber. It's kind of cool if you haven't been to at least uh, experience that part when the when the uh, lawmakers are actually on the floor. But you know, on the floors themselves of the House and on the floor of the Senate, the only thing, the only thing the state lawmakers have to do at the legislature, they have to pass a budget to keep the state operating. But We elect folks here in Texas who go to Austin with a lot of ideas. And for this episode of Yellowticks, we're talking to the most influential statewide elected official at the legislature. He's the person who decides what bills get to the Senate floor, what bills get pushed to the back burner. It's the Lieutenant Governor, Dan Patrick. He's a Republican from Houston, as you likely know. He is a former state senator from Houston. He's a former talk radio host, and he's a former TV sportscaster from Houston as well before that. And if you watch Texas politics at all in the last 10 to 15 years, you know that Lieutenant Governor Patrick is a political force to be reckoned with. A few weeks ago he held a press conference in one of the rooms just off the Senate chamber in the back of the chamber there and he told reporters what he wanted to accomplish this session. 21 ideas he laid out. He had several easels there with some, some boards put up and he went through 21 different ideas. What was really interesting, I thought, about his list of ideas, there was not a lot of Republican red meat in there. Not any big social issues, no big political wedges that drive debate and often drive headlines and sometimes this podcast. Instead, Patrick's ideas were mostly policy issues, property taxes, teacher pay, police pay, mental health hospitals. Well, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, he, he came by the studio recently, and we questioned him about what he wants to accomplish over the next 141 days in the legislature, and more importantly, how his priorities are going to affect Texans like you and I. Governor Patrick, good to see you again. Good to be back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Priority number one for you is to reduce property taxes. That's been a a goal of yours for the last, the last few sessions as well. You're proposing to raise the homestead exemption even more from 40,000 to $60,000. Maybe um, 70. Maybe, you said even 100 potentially before you leave the building.
1: Before I I leave office, I'd like for it to be 100. When I came in, it was 15,000. Right, it went to 25. I bumped it to 25, last session to 40.
0: Well, people hear this, Governor, and they're thinking, well, what does that mean to me? How much less am I going to pay? Or or is this just going to work itself out in the wash?
1: So, not everyone's property taxes are the same based on where they live. But basically, you're paying about $3 a hundred of, of taxes so on every hundred thousand dollar value you're paying three thousand so if we raise let's do easy math here if we raise the the exemption to fifty thousand that's a fifteen hundred dollar savings a year if we take it to I actually i'm hoping for seventy thousand i said sixty or sixty five let's push for a little more it's up to the members will vote on that but it will it will go up again so let's say it's sixty five thousand so that's two-thirds of three thousand we're saving you so now you're close to an eighteen hundred nineteen hundred dollar savings on the homestead exemption, and before I leave, I'd like to be at $100,000. The average home owner uh, today's home is about 350,000. That's across the state, obviously, in a place like Dallas or any big city, more expensive in the urban and suburban areas. But if you can get it to you know, 70, 80, 90, 100,000 over the next couple of years, you're talking about taking a third off the top, so that would be a like $3,000 saving. And the other thing, Jason, that we did this year, that I think people finally saw it, They because we passed this bill in 19, but COVID interrupted the implementation of it for the most part, we've disconnected your appraisal value from your tax bill. So a lot of people got sky high appraisals in the spring. and They said, oh my goodness, because in the past, whatever your appraisal value went up, your taxes kind of followed it. And the local county judges would say, I didn't raise your taxes. Yeah, but my taxes went up because it followed the value. So now we've limited county budgets to three and a half percent and we've limited school districts to two and a half percent. So that means the more the value goes up, they have to lower their tax rate to not spend any more than, than uh, 3.5% on their budget. And if they need more, they can go to the people and ask for a vote. And on the school taxes, people are gonna say, well, you, you capped it at 2.5% for schools, they used to be at seven. We are making that difference up from the state. So the average person, when they got their tax bill in the spring, the appraisal was high, and if they look at their tax bill, what they paid, if they paid it yet, it's about somewhere between two and 4% increase. Some went down, some stayed, the, but that's the key. You have to slow that growth. You can't go up seven, 8% a year, plus the homestead is, is gonna be a big savings. And we're gonna put more into it this session,
0: much more. You mentioned one-time dividend. Yes. That, that's, you floated that out there. Yep. W- w- what does that mean? How likely is that?
1: So, I don't know what the members, I held a press conference a few weeks to lay on our budget. And we have, right now the controller says we have a $27 billion surplus. That may go to 35 or 40 billion. Now, really, that that, that high? That will be the, the highest, second highest in the nation's history. California once had 55 billion, I believe, and several years later they were broke. We're not gonna allow us to go broke. So we're gonna be prudent with the money. We'll save some of that money. This is an addition to the Rainy Day Fund, by right. the way. Okay, this is just in our, call it the checking account, the, appropriate, <laughs> the appropriation account. So, so if you have, let's call it 35 billion for sake of argument. We're gonna know in a few days when the controller gives us the exact number. If you have $35 billion, under our constitutional spending limits, as the people voted on, to, so we don't grow our budgets yeah. um, too high, we can only spend 12 of it, about $12 billion. So that leaves you 20 billion more. And we can have a constitutional amendment to bring a bill to the people and say, do you want to spend X number of dollars on this, this, or this, and let the people vote? And that does not bust the spending cap. Uh, so I don't want to be too complicated, but so we can only spend 12 constitutionally out of whatever we have. And you can look at it a couple of ways. So I'm definitely gonna increase the homestead exemption without question, 60, 65, 70, whatever the members will sign off on. Uh, And then we're gonna spend another, uh, probably another 10 billion to 12 billion, uh, depending on what we spend on the homestead. We'll probably spend about 15 billion altogether on property tax relief. So do you give a uh, one-time credit, in a way. We can't send a check constitutionally to you. I can't send a check mm-hmm. and if I did you'd get a 1099 have to pay tax on that. <laughs> so we don't want to do that. So we have to design how we do is it a one-time thing and will people understand it's a one-time thing because we won't be able to do that next time because we won't have 35 billion. But yeah you want to be or, able to sustain this right? Yeah, or put it on a fund right. that continues to lower property taxes. We call it the compression rate on the school taxes over time. We have to make home more affordable than ever as you know, I, I fought on this in 2003, four years before I was ever elected as a citizen. And so we've, we've made a lot of headway. Again, I want people to look at their, their tax bill and compare it to their appraisal and see if I'm right. You, your school taxes either went down a little, up a little, about the same. But your bill didn't go up to 7, 8, 9, and 10%. There will always be an exceptional person out there sure. for some reason. But on average, that's, that's what we've done. And the homestead exemption, again, 60000 will save the average person somewhere around 15 dollars to $1,700 depending on the taxing jurisdiction they're in.
0: We, we've talked about this before, too. Yes. The biggest property tax bill that, that, that people pay, obviously, is for the school district. Yes. Yes. Um, that, that, that's the more than half, usually, yes. for most folks. We looked at Fort Worth ISD as an example. Yes. Um, and in 2015, the state contributed 45% of the money that right. that district needed to operate. In 2020, the state gave 30% of that district's budget. Yes. In 2022, the state whittled it down to 27%. And the, the less the state pays, the more homeowners have to pay. W- yes w- but w-
1: sometimes would it help also yes. to, to to raise the state expenditures into public well, education sometimes the numbers uh, don't represent the actual facts so the way the constitution is written and the, and the, and the school funding is written, we supplement the difference uh, up to a certain number of what we pay for each student, and that's sometimes it goes up at the local level, sometimes from the state level but is re-
0: it based off the, the It's supplemental taxes, based or?
1: on the total property tax value. So if you have an area like Fort Worth, which has a lot of commercial growth coming right. in, so we're able to lower the property taxes for homeowners, but property taxes may be going up on some of these commercial entities, and we're trying to limit that as well because we want to keep business sure. coming and create jobs. So it's, it's based on the overall tax wealth of a district and how fast that district is growing. So in Fort Worth, their values went up, but the homeowners, again, I want to go back to this station, The homeowner's school taxes did not go up to match that. So it's a very complicated formula set in the Constitution long before I was elected, but it is that balance of the two. In terms of our budget, just so you know, uh, our budget is about 53 to 54% of our total budget is spent on education. Uh, And about 35 on healthcare, so now you're up to 87%. About 10% on public safety, 97%. So 90% of our total state budget is education, health care and public safety, with health care and education being 87%. So, Has the education
0: budget gone down?
1: No, 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 no. no. You you can look at, that's why I say the numbers really don't tell the true facts. Our education budget has continued to go up, 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 and up over the years, uh, and yet we've we've found a way to reduce the school taxes on the individual citizen. So it was a very uh, clever bill that we passed uh, in order to reduce home property taxes, not put too much burden on business, and fund education to what they need. In 2019, um, I say I, we put $11 billion of new money into education, 11 billion. And five of that was to reduce property taxes, two billion was to go directly to teacher pay, which I promised, and then the remaining money went to the school general system, dyslexia and other programs that we have. So we're spending uh, billions more than we spent uh, 15 years ago, 10 years ago.
0: Governor, you said you want to empower parents by giving uh, them a voice in their child's education. You've said that for Mm -hmm. several years too. Governor Abbott said he is open to talking about school vouchers. You didn't mention that in your your press conference. Is that something you would consider this session, school vouchers?
1: So I'm the only uh, statewide elected official that's ever passed school choice. I did it twice in 15 and 17. Unfortunately, the house did not pass it. The governor is all in this session on school choice. And when I laid out my proposals in that press conference, the main thing I wanted for people to to get their arms around is how much money we had, how much we can spend, how we can spend it, and what are the major programs. And and that included teacher pay increase, property tax, and we'll talk about law enforcement and and mental health care as as well, I I think, in the next few minutes. But um, on school choice, I said parental freedom. uh, Because it's, it's, you can call it what you want. Uh, Those who oppose school choice, all vouchers are terrible. No, parents deserve to have the freedom to decide where their kids go to school. And if they have a child with a disability and the school can't take care of that child for whatever reason, and many schools are great with children with right. disabilities, some are not, then they all have a right to go to a school that can. If a, child feels, if a parent feels their child is going to a school that's a perennial failing school, that's always a D or an F or most of the time, why should their child go to a school that it, the state rates a failure? They should be able to have choice. And third, if a parent feels maybe the school is not safe, for whatever reason, bottom line is they have a right to send their child to the school. I always hear this from the education community. Well, you can't take money out of the system. Wait a minute, the school system doesn't have any money. It's the taxpayers' money. It's their school taxes, so they should have that right. At the same time, and here's what's important. I'm the biggest public school advocate that's ever been in the office of Lieutenant Governor. I've put more money to it, more money to teachers, retired teachers, because here's what I know. We have five and a half million kids in public school today, roughly. Mm -hmm. We only have 250,000 in private schools. We have about 300,000 in public charters. And then the homeschool community, that's growing and growing. But in terms of what we fund, um, of those 6 million kids roughly, 5.5 million go to public school. It's always going to be 90% or more going to public schools. And, and so when I hear this, well, they're taking money from public education, uh, it's the parents' money to have a choice. And we will continue to fund public education fully in rural Texas, uh, you know, mid-sized Texas, and in large We're not taking any money from the schools. Here's the bottom line, if you had a child in a public school and you get a TV job at a station in New York City, are you allowed to take your child with you? Of course. Can the school say, well, Jason took his child, we don't have that child, you need to keep paying us for that child. Well, whether that child went with you to New York, or he homeschooled, or he gets to go to a private school, or a a school that handles children with disability, it doesn't make any difference, that child's not there, So why should the school get paid for a child that's not there for whatever the reason
0: would rural republicans be on board with that you think
1: well we have look and i've said this and governor abbott has said this as well that we want we have so many small school districts i was in i was in uh, i forget the town and there were three superintendents there and you know i did 130 cities in 17 days across texas on my double-decker bus with expensive joe biden diesel gas every day about a thousand bucks a day and, I, and the three superintendents, I said, how many in your district? 300, how many in your district? 200, how many in your district? 450. We have 1,200 school districts in Texas. You know, I was education chair in 13, I was on the committee for eight years, so I, I'm, not the guy. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I've spent 17 years on this issue, so I kind of know the numbers. And, and of the 1,200 school districts, almost 900 have less than 2,000 kids. And almost half of those have less than 1,000. So where you have schools that are two, three, four, six, you know, small school districts, First of all, the economies of scale, no one's gonna move in there with a private school, but we can hold, we say, hold harmless. If those small school districts, no matter where they are, mm-hmm. lose students, we can continue to fund them because there is an economy of scale. If DISD loses 100 kids to to a school choice, they won't even notice it, the school district is so big. But if you've got a school district with 200 kids or 400 and you lose 20, so we we're, we're gonna make those schools whole and make sure they're continuing to be funded because you have to have so many dollars to. Make the base budget.
0: Let's talk about your your home county, Harris County. Yes. Uh, it did not have enough ballots, as has been widely right. reported in the right. in the November midterm election. An investigation is underway, Governor. But yes. based on what you know right now, do you think something criminal happened on the election?
1: So here's what I know. Uh, Dallas didn't have any problem. It's a blue county. Counted all the votes on time, right? I don't I don't remember any complaints about Dallas. Uh, Dallas County. I didn't hear any complaints about Travis County, Blue County. Didn't hear any complaints about Bear County. I mean, nothing like this. In Harris County, they either are corrupt or they're incompetent. But there were, and the numbers are still changing. We know, or believe we know, that there were 28 precincts that ran out of the paper ballot that you take to the machine to put in, and 26 of them were Republican districts. And the, a judge ordered them to get the ballots, and later that it, on Election Day and then later in the day said, "What well, we're trying. They just said, no, you're not trying, you gotta get the ballots there. Because how many people went in to vote and there were no paper ballots and they didn't come back that election day? Uh, there's some stories out there that were even more than 26. So I don't know if it was criminal. Uh, I hope not. Uh, I don't know if it was incompetence. But it, it makes people doubt the process because, and people up here don't know this, but we had the most spirited election for county judge in Harris County in the entire state. and the, and a million votes cast, and the Harris County Republican candidate lost by about 15,000. It was close. It was very close, out of a million. Right. But we had a lot of judicial benches because we have too many judges letting criminals on the streets. We have that problem in Dallas County and other counties up here as well, letting, in our big counties, letting criminals out on the street. And, and uh, most of those judge races, we won four, but they were decided between 500 and 10,000 votes. So if, if a large number of polling places in Republican precincts don't have paper to vote, and we have races that are decided by 500 to 15,000 votes out of a million, something. It's either corrupt and criminal or total negligence. Any idea when the investigation might be done? I don't know, and uh, and, and here's here's something we have to address in the law. If it's purposeful, and I'm not saying it is, I don't have the fact, but if it is, or incompetence, here's the, or which, it's one of the two, here's the problem, by the time you canvass the votes and, and do an investigation, the vote canvass is complete, people have been sworn into office, and you can't overturn that election. So, what,
0: what's the legislative fix then?
1: Uh, we're, we're looking at how to make that a legislative fix. Uh, again, this, uh, I'm not blaming all Democrats because in, in some of our big Democrat counties, we didn't have this problem. But Harris County has been a problem ever since the Democrats took over every election. I mean, we're still counting votes from the 2020 and 18 election. We can't catch up with in Harris County. In Harris County.
0: I want to ask about your, one of your ideas about the mandatory ten-year sentence for yes. any crimes uh, yep. committed with a gun. You want to. Uh, send people to prison no matter what the crime is you said if they commit the crime with a gun yep. they get 10 years 10
1: years mandatory mandatory in prison
0: have you spoken to a speaker feeling about this is this something you could get consensus around you think
1: i th- i think we'll get consensus i think it's a no brainer look our police force all across the state are at risk because people today think nothing of pulling a gun on a police officer i think nothing of pulling a gun on a on a on an unarmed citizen we don't need to take guns out of the hands of law abiding citizens we need to put a severe penalty on any criminal who uses a gun in a crime, 10 years uh, minimum uh, mandatory sentence. Because on the street right now, in Dallas and Houston and our other big cities, Austin's become a terrible city for crime, that they know if they get the right judge, I can put a gun in your face and I can hold you up, I might shoot you, I might not shoot you, and I get arrested and I'll be out the next day to do it again. We have to put these hardened criminals that have a life of crime and a rap sheet this long, we've got to keep them in jail. And uh, I've already had the Democrat uh, district attorney um, in Houston support this. I think we'll have universal support. Nobody, nobody wants a gun in their face.
0: No, absolutely, absolutely not. That's why. That's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. We just have a couple more questions yes. here, too. Um,
1: let me...
0: Mental health care, law enforcement in rural Texas? Yeah, let, 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 let's hit that. Yeah. Texas has 254 counties. I don't think people realize, if if they don't live in one of the larger counties or the suburban counties, that that the law enforcement in these rural areas is spread pretty thin Thin. and not paid very much.
1: So on my bus tour uh, all across Texas, uh, first of all, I ate the best food everywhere, met great people, but I learned so much. And I've traveled in rural Texas before, but nothing this in-depth, where I sit down with a county judge or a business leader or a sheriff every day in so many places. It's clear. That I mean, we have deputies, we have sheriffs out there making in the thirty thousand dollar range, that have four Sheriff, deputies. Elected sheriffs. Elected sheriffs. We have we have we have deputies making in the twenties or low thirties, uh, where they're covering five seven hundred square miles with one guy, one guy, um, and so. Uh, and they don't and they don't have you know if you arrest someone in the panhandle and they've got some mental health issue that you arrest you have to drive all the way to wichita falls well that deputy's gone all that drive all that drive back you lose that person so these are connected so we have always said that the local counties every county is responsible your county here dallas county where we do this show is responsible to pay the sheriff the jail and, and the deputies out on the street but in these these small rural counties 254 counties depending on how you define it, about 235 would be considered rural. You know, most of our population is about 20 sure. counties. And they don't have the tax base, they don't have the commercial business, some of them do, but, but most, of the, most of them don't, to afford to do that. So, so I propose to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to rural counties for law enforcement so that they can hire people, maintain those people, get new equipment, they can do the job because people in rural Texas deserve, when I talk about rural Texas, that's people in your viewing area, by the way. It could be Grayson County, and they're one of the stronger counties, yeah. and bigger budget counties, but, but, but you have small counties in your viewing area. They just don't have the money, so we're gonna help them. And the second part of that, Jason, is in the, as Lieutenant Governor, I have put more money into mental health care than any Lieutenant Governor in history, than anyone in history, uh, because 40% of all people, families, are gonna to be touched with it, either whether it's something as mild dyslexia or mild yeah. depression or something much more serious. We don't have enough mental health care hospital beds, and that's for the civilian population and for the criminals. Our jails, are the, uh, that's where all our mental health care issues are, right. and so I'm proposing a plan to build out four, five, six, seven, as many as the members will support, new mental health care hospitals across the state from the Panhandle, to uh, North Dallas, the Terrell Unit, to the Valley, to Wichita Falls. We do it in three ways, we either build a new hospital, we add beds to a current hospital, or we buy beds, which means we go to a regular hospital and we say, we wanna pay for 10 beds to deal with mental health care. But part of that, Jason, is about a third of the beds we have now almost are not in need and use because we don't have staff, we don't have nurses. That's a problem in every hospital. So I'm also proposing a scholarship plan. So we'll pay for all this new hospitals out of our surplus uh, around Texas but we, I want to create a scholarship, uh, full scholarship for nurses that become registered nurses.
0: Where the state pays the education. Yeah,
1: we already do that for, If by the way parents, if your son or daughter uh, wants to be a science or math teacher, we'll pay for their college education. If they want to go into law enforcement, we'll pay for their college education. And we do it for doctors, we need to do it for nurses, because we've got to get more nurses into the system, and we, and we need more telehealth care medicine, we don't have enough psychiatrists or psychologists around the state, we just don't, uh, and we need to do, invest in telehealth care also.
0: I want to ask about a hot-button issue yes. from last session. Republican yes. State Senator Bob Nichols said he would support an exception under the state's new abortion law right. for cases of rape or incest, um, so, so a woman's not forced to carry her attacker's right. uh, child to term. Generally
1: speaking, is that a concept you could get behind? So, I, look, I'm pro-life, and I look at that child. By the way, I understand and I hear what the other side is saying about that issue uh, and respect a person's point of view. So far I've had, and obviously I respect Senator Nichols and we had another senator say that. No one else has made a statement on it. I haven't heard anything from the Governor, the Speaker, or any House members. There may be some, but there are those of us who also believe that child who was born should not be another victim of that crime and that life be taken. So, so I really hear and respect the other side. I'm pro-life and always have been. Uh, I don't know if that issue will come forward or not. Right now I don't see that issue coming forward. This is important to remember. So when the Dobbs decision was passed, our state, like every other state, went back to their original law. Our original law that's on the books now was written by Democrats, all Democrats. We had few Republicans back then, few Republicans in the state. They did not put in an exception for rape and incest when they passed that law. We have an exception in the law that the Democrats passed many years ago, decades ago, to protect the life of the mother. Whether anything else goes beyond that, at this point, I don't know. I don't hear a groundswell for it.
0: So, if there are groundswell er- erupted around this, I'd have is-
1: to I'd have to see a big groundswell. Um, again, it's it is, it's less than one percent, of all the cases of abortion, but the left makes it like it's fifty or sixty percent, um, and uh, so we talk about this over and over again. I, I'm. I understand the other side, and sometimes I say, can you understand our side also on, on life in general? I mean, it's a real baby. It's a real person in the womb, and, uh, and we kind of cavalierly say, well, uh, it, that baby's not important. Uh, it's important to me.
0: Last question here, Donald Trump running for president again. You twice served as his campaign chair. Are you gonna support him again in 2024?
1: Uh, If he's running in 2024, I say if he's running, he's announced he's running, so I assume he's running. I have not talked to him since the announcement. We do talk, uh, we have talked often. I saw him at the Corpus Christi rally right before the election. Uh, If he's running, um, I'll be there supporting him. Uh, I think he'll win the primary, uh, but that's how we sit here today in January. Who knows what's ahead. There's a lot of time. Uh, He's got a solid base of support this president is selling out our country. I mean, look, Texas is a very Republican state. (coughs) We don't, we don't, uh, the open border is destroying our country in, I mean, two million a year. When Trump, his last year, we had about 400,000 a year crossing that we apprehended. Uh, (coughs) The fentanyl that's coming in. uh, Joe Biden systematically is tearing this country apart. And I think whoever the Republican is in 2024, if Biden's running or any Democrat, if they continue these policies, I think we win. Governor, thanks for the time. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Happy New Year, everyone.
0: Y'all don't go anywhere. Yallitics will be right back. You know, we didn't get into every single one of Patrick's priorities, if you were keeping count there. We just hit the highlights, but that's at least a checklist for you. You have a roadmap of, of what this legislative session is likely going to look like. Of course, there will be some wild bills that get headlines. Will they get to the floor for a debate? We shall see. But at the end of the day, what will get accomplished? That's the big question. Of course, as we mentioned in the very beginning of the podcast here, they have to pass a budget. That will definitely get accomplished and and dozens of other things will too. But the main priority that everybody wants to get accomplished, Republican, Democrat, Governor, Lieutenant Governor, Speaker of the House, everyone seems to have at the top of their list is property taxes, reducing property taxes. Texas has the 7th highest property taxes in the country. I've often said on this podcast how it's a misnomer that Texas is a low-tax state. Texas is a low-tax state for businesses. Texas is not a low-tax state when it comes to the average average Joe like you and I and Wheeler. 7th highest property taxes in the country. And you don't have to own property to pay it. Property taxes are included in every single rent payment. That you make as well, and those taxes have been skyrocketing for years. You likely know this because it was time to pay property taxes um, at at the end of uh, 2022. There, you know. Speaking of what Patrick said, I thought it was particularly interesting what Patrick said about abortion. You know, a couple of Republican state senators said they would consider to a carve out to the state's abortion law to let women who are raped terminate their pregnancy, so they don't have to carry their attacker's child to term. Patrick suggested there in the interview a moment ago that he is against that carve-out. Lots in play here as the legislature begins. January the 10th is when they gavel into session. Next week's episode, we're going to be at the Capitol and sitting down with a Texas Democrat to talk about Democratic priorities, things that they think they can accomplish, even though Democrats remain in the minority in the Texas legislature. Join us for that one next week. Hope you can be here. Thanks, as always, for listening to Yolitics. Talk to you soon. Okay, y'all. The conversation doesn't stop here. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Yolitics. Like a post? Leave a comment. Or let us know the next beer that Jason should try.